Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. This year we mark the 60th anniversary of the Second Vatican Council. And one of its great documents is the document Dei Verbum, which means the Word of God. And so this week as we consider Dei Verbum and the possibility of God directly revealing to the human race His holy will for us, we'll ask whether the Word of God is like a jigsaw puzzle or a game of Scrabble. Stay tuned for more. Consider the difference between a jigsaw puzzle and a game of Scrabble. In a jigsaw puzzle, you sit down with all of these jagged pieces, and you know that there's supposed to be a whole picture there. You know it because generally it's on the box of the game. And that the whole point of a jigsaw puzzle is you're trying to put them all together in the right order, drawing the right connections, so you see what the big picture looks like. A game of Scrabble is something different. In a game of Scrabble, there's just a bunch of letters, and you get to impose on those letters various meanings and words. Think about the difference between those two games. In the jigsaw puzzle, you have the big picture that's holistic, it's Catholic, it's unified. In a game of Scrabble, you're just imposing on the letters uh, whatever facility you have with the language that you're playing the game in. And so you can only figure out as much of the Scrabble game as words that you know how to spell, hopefully correctly. But in seeing the difference between a jigsaw puzzle and a game of Scrabble, you understand the difference between Scripture and tradition, which places, which makes this entire big picture about the Old Testament and the New Testament and what it means, or the game of Scrabble where you can be in any number of non-Catholic Christian denominations up to and including um, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, everybody who takes the Holy Word of God and comes up with particularly diverse meetings, meanings which are often very much contrary with what we understand to be the truth of the Catholic faith. So think about it, about the cohesiveness of the Catholic faith and how it's undergirded by, by Scripture and tradition. Um, you know, when we think of the word Catholic, Catholicos is a Greek word which means universal. But like most words, it has uh, a variety of meanings that are connected to each other. So it also means complete or integral or whole or containing all the essential parts in their proper relation. So for Catholic, it means universal faith for all people. But also it's the ability of the faith to bring all people into a holistic understanding of God's reality. You know, if you were ever caught in an apologetic uh, situation where you were required to make a defense of the faith, how well equipped do you think you are uh, to understand both the dogma of the church and how it is that the scriptures undergird that dogma uh, and how the tradition reinforces that dogma? Um, mostly, I think people feel pretty inadequate about it. I mean, all of us have limits uh, as to what it is that we understand. Even some of us who have been doing it for years recognize uh, how much we do understand and what we don't actually understand or is not easily at our fingertips. 
But it is helpful to think about um, the faith as this jigsaw puzzle and how you put all of these uh, dogmas and uh, stories about Christ together into a holistic whole. And so that when you put the pieces all together, it makes a big picture. And so for the Catholic faith, if you just think of some of the dogmas that I know you're all familiar with, and you ought to think if you could actually explain them to somebody. How about the nature of God, the dogma of the Trinity, or the nature of the dogma about creation, um, how God brought the world into being, how he calls it all very good, how human beings are called very good. And then the doctrine that we have of original sin, the fall. Um, what was it? It Was it disobedience to a divine command? Sure. Was it an act of magic? Yes, it was. Was it an interior wound to both Adam and Eve? Yes. Was it also a wound in the relationship with God? You betcha. Was it a, a fall of sin? Did it affect man and woman's relationship to each other to the present day? Clearly, there's lots of evidence of that. How about the incarnation? The second person of the Trinity takes on completely humanity. So Jesus is fully human, fully divine. Or redemption, how it is that we're bought back, how it is that sin has a claim on us, but through Jesus' death and victory over the powers of darkness on the cross, um, the kerygma um, that we're brought into the glory of the resurrection. Church is related to that. Specifically in Scripture, when we look at the Gospel of Luke, which we have this weekend, how it relates to the Acts of the Apostles, because the Gospel of Luke is about Jesus and the disciples. Acts of the Apostles is about the disciples and the growth of the church uh, really to the present day. That in our understanding of the jigsaw puzzle, everything comes from God, everything goes back to God. But in the story of redemption, it's the story of humanity falling apart into all these pieces like a, a distended jigsaw puzzle but how we're all called back to communion, communion with God, communion with each other, and the experience of the integration of communion inside each of us, the big picture. And so if you understand those pieces of the big picture as you read through Scripture, you can start to see how in the Old Testament and the New it points to Trinity, incarnation, and the importance of uh, communion. Communion is behind the logic and goal of creation. When God created everything, and just go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, uh, he called it all good, how it all fit in. Because on the first day, he creates light and creates wisdom. So if you're proclaiming the Catholic faith to somebody, it's, gosh, something's really screwed up about humanity. We need something that brings us together into communion with God, each other, and also fixes our interior wounds. The only one who can accomplish that is, in fact, God. It's why only God can save us and why Christianity is the true faith. And so understanding the fall, the call back to communion, how it is that this is the big picture, like on the, on the cover of that jigsaw puzzle box. And then the next part, it's just understanding the basics of why it is that we can only be saved if God tells us about ourselves. We are friends like a broken toaster. 
And I think we all agree broken toasters do not fix themselves. You need to call the repairman. There is a profound and very basic logic to the Christian faith. And so when we talk about salvation, what we mean is holiness, integrity, complete communion between us, our creator, one another, and this integrated life, this life of virtue each of us is called to. So why is that just not a fantasy? Why is that actually the truth? Well, it's the truth because God told us all of this. And our experience day to day affirms the truth of what we have been in fact told. So we have a good understanding of what our situation is. And then living a life of faith, we have the experience of the saving nature of the gospel. So let's now turn to the next part of Oral Valley Catholic. And in that part, we're going to talk about the obedience of faith and what revelation means. Dei Verbum was the church's proclamation of the nature of the meaning of revelation, scripture, and tradition. In paragraph 6 of Dei Verbum, it says, God, the beginning and end of all things, can be known with certainty from created reality by the light of human reason, but teaches that it's through his revelation that those religious truths, which are by their nature accessible to human reason, can be known by all men with ease, with solid certitude, and with no trace of error, even in this present state of the human race. What's that mean? That even if you're not a Christian, you can come to knowledge of God just through the created world, the contingent nature of things, that there must be some, by necessity, prime mover, prime creator of everything that is, Nothing comes from nothing. Something can only come from something. Human logic. And so we look at the, the Greeks, the pagans, uh, Aristotle and Plato especially. They reasoned to the existence of God. They didn't think of God like you and I think of him as the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that there was some ultimate cause and reason behind everything. Every human culture has thought that maybe the first really atheistic culture on the planet to the extent that our culture is atheistic, and I think that's overblown, the, is, is maybe a modern Western secular culture, partly because there's really a misunderstanding about what we mean by God, but that the idea that people who say, I believe in something, well, boy, they're right on target as to the ability of human reason to intuit the existence of God. That's not the same thing as understanding the Old and the New Testament and the dogmatic preaching of the church, the saving preaching of the church about the death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kerygma. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. This is the church's preaching because it's in that understanding that we all come from God and that we are all returning back to God. 
is a basic understanding of human reality. It's not we come out of no place and we burn up at the end and it's all to no point. That, to me, is absolutely implausible. And so when we talk about divine uh, revelation, what do we mean? Let's ask some basic questions. When we talk about divine revelation, who reveals themselves? Well, it would be God. And it's called revelation because God reveals himself as persons, um, as person like we are person. We are not the highest expression of personality in, in, in uh, existence. God is much more plausible to believe that a sentient thinking existence brought us into being in his image and likeness than uh, we became thinking human beings uh, just out of inorganic matter, um, the idea that everything's material. It just doesn't seem to be plausible on its face because it has so much difficulty explaining human consciousness. But that missing jigsaw puzzle piece, the idea that God is person, and so God is himself trinity, which means God is divine relationship, Father, Son, and uh, Holy Spirit, that God has will and intentionality, which are things that we can recognize in uh, ourselves. Uh, God essentially has some analogous uh, corollary like ours, which is intelligent, and something that we can understand as will, though it far exceeds what we are capable of. And so probably beyond what our minds itself could understand. But at least we can see the image in God, of God in our intellect and our will. So who reveals God? What does God reveal? Himself. It's like meeting another person and they tell you about themselves. You can only learn about your spouse, your friends, your families, anybody, because they're persons who reveal themselves and their interior life to you. Who reveals God? What does God reveal himself? How does God reveal? And so we know because we listen to Scripture, God reveals himself through history in, in deeds and words. That's in the second uh, paragraph of Dei Verbum. And so if you look at the story of the Old Testament, there is history there. It's the fall of the people of Israel uh, to Assyria, the fall of the people of Israel to Babylon. It's King David, King Solomon, uh, the first attempt at king, King Saul. It's this tribal history of the, God's people, uh, which we think of the book of Judges and uh, the story of Moses and the Pentateuch, the first five books, the Torah of the Old Testament. If you follow through like Father Mike Schmidt's The Bible in a Year, you get a sense that how all of these books play into the story of the people of God. Some of it is mythic, like the stories that are told in the early part of Genesis. Some of it is like some ancient human memory, like the uh, patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some of it is um, these origin stories about Moses and the law, which actually go back to some actual event, some saving event of this group of people that's called the 12 tribes of Israel. But that God, by revealing himself in deeds and words through history, 
God shows himself to be a provident God. That is, a God that provides for his people. And so when you read Old and New Testament, you get this historical understanding of God revealing himself, which becomes the matrix, the way that we understand uh, the person of Jesus as the saving presence of God. And so the big picture, like in the jigsaw puzzle, but also what you get is stories that are useful for how we put our own lives together, for meditation and prayer, and how we have insight into what our own story is and how it participates in the great story of Revelation. And so uh, when they were putting together the story of um, of this this document, Dei Verbum, they first started out with this understanding that there are these two sources of revelation, and one is scripture and the other is apostolic tradition. But the council rejected that and said there is just one source of revelation, and that's God. And it's either God revealing himself through the history and people of Israel or God's self-revelation by coming amongst us as his son. Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, and apostolic tradition are not themselves revelation. They're the effect of revelation. God's revelation is a call to humanity to record what God himself has revealed. And so what has God revealed? God's revealed a saving will for us. God's shown us what it means to be a human being and that this is the final dispensation, the final revelation um, that will bring all people into union with God. And so Dei Verbum says in in paragraph four, the Christian dispensation, therefore, is the new and definitive covenant will never pass away. And we now await no further new public revelation before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That comes out of 1 Timothy and the letter to Titus. So for some people apparently think that Vatican II watered down the faith, anything but. Uh, Every council struggles with acceptance. And so now we're going to turn to the next part, the final part of Oral Valley Catholic. We're going to talk about what our duty is in response to the provident God who has revealed himself in history in words and deeds, and that we come to know through scripture and tradition. And so you come to Sunday Mass, you listen to a a reading from the Old Testament, you, you respond to a psalm, you listen to a reading from the letters in the New Testament, and finally something from the gospel, almost always just like that. So what's the response? The response is what Dei Verbum in paragraph 5 calls the obedience of faith. We are called to respond to God with whole hearts and souls. So think about revelation because there's really two different aspects of it. Uh, And this is how um, theologians like Pope Benedict would talk about it. Revelation on one level, who... God is, who comes in person in Jesus Christ. 
and lives this life that the disciples record. Um, that's revelation in the order of being that God himself does these things and they are personal acts. Scripture and tradition are revelation in the order of knowledge. How do you and I learn about it? And why it is every year by going over the same feasts, the same stories, we enter deep, deep, more deeply into this mystery. That's why I said scripture and tradition aren't two different sources. Scripture is the church's book. The tradition is what's been handed down to us from apostolic times about how we're to understand. It's why the fathers of the church like Irenaeus and Ignatius and Polycarp and Augustine and Leo the Great, that they're very important to us because they're authoritative voices of the tradition. So scripture and tradition are one source of this effect of revelation along the order of knowledge, how we learn to grow by listening to the word of God, living the liturgical life, and listening to the moral instruction of the church. So how you think, how you feel, how you live, in word and deed and thought. We are formed by responding to divine revelation. So the Bible did not cause God to reveal himself. God's revelation caused the Bible and the church to come into existence. And so think about this, because this is very much a part of the story of the church. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he ordered them to preach the good news of uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, to preach and proclaim the passion, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. This is the story of all four Gospels. The key is Jesus ordered preaching. Nowhere did he order uh, the church to write anything down. And so when Jesus ordered his apostles to take out the, the good news, as he does in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, when he says, go out and preach this to the whole world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is talked about in Dei Verbum, paragraph 7. Um, this is fundamentally the work of the church. And so the early work of the church is the oral preaching of the apostles, the examples of their lives, the observances that they teach, especially the celebration of the Eucharist, don't forget that the earliest writings in the New Testament are not the four Gospels or the Acts of the Apostles. The earliest writings are the letters of St. Paul, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Galatians. They're pastoral letters. And if you read them, you really couldn't put together the story of the, of the Gospels, any of them, just from Paul's writing because he's orally preached the gospel to all those people who were converted. It's as when the apostles begin to die, that first generation of Christians is going away. This is when the four gospels and the Acts of the Apostles are written. And so the commission to preach, because the church makes the decision to do it, is fulfilled by writing um, the gospels and then, of course, all of the letters that we read at Mass. Uh, but it starts 
with the preaching of the church. It's why the homily is such an important part of Sunday Mass. Um, so we're taught of the divine revelation um, through Scripture and the preaching of the church. We're also taught about the, the life that Christ calls us to live by the observances we're called to. So it's the celebration of the Eucharist, primary above all. Why? Because God brought us into being. We fell from grace. And to go back to God, we must be brought into communion with God. It's why the real presence of the Eucharist is real. If it's a fake presence, how does this bring communion? I mean, it reduces the Bible to just a book club, a scrabble game. But that communion, our Eucharist that we celebrate, is one of those pieces of this puzzle about this Catholic integration of the world and our life and our interior life, and that this is rooted in the preaching of the church. This is the right big picture. And so think about Scripture and tradition in the right way. It even says that the apostles in the New Testament uh, passed on their authorities to the bishops and why the apostolic succession, bishops and the clergy that is talked about in the New Testament, is part of this continuous mission of the church that goes back to Christ calling and sending out those disciples. And so the church is first. The New Testament follows. It's why the church uh, is the authoritative voice for interpreting the New Testament. My dad, who was a convert to the Catholic faith, said the thing he thought, thought most plausible about the uh, Catholicism was that Jesus just didn't ascend into heaven, throw the Bible out in the middle of the street and say, you people figure it out. He left an authoritative voice so that we understand. Yes, like G.K. Chesterton says, the church is this wildly careening chariot, first up on one wheel, next up on the other, always threatening to turn over, but not quite getting there. And so the Bible, uh, the New Testament, talks about the role of Scripture in our lives. So St. Paul says in the second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15, hold fast to traditions learned by word of mouth or letter, because in his time, it's his preaching and the letters he's written. That, my friends, is by apostolic tradition and by scripture. And so this brings us to the second reading for this Sunday, which is from 2 Timothy. And here's what the reading is. Beloved, remain faithful to what you've learned and believed, because you know from whom you learned it, and that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for refutation, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that one who belongs to God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingly power, proclaim the word, be persistent whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Convince, reprimand, encourage through all patience and teaching. So the role of the scriptures, it's sacred wisdom. 
It helps us refute falsehood. It corrects us when we make errors. It trains us in the life of faith and makes us competent Christians. And that each of us is called to proclaim that holy word to the world, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, in season or out, all of us have the obligation of proclaiming the word of God. And that we should, as we dwell on it, be encouraged through patience, teaching, and our effort to bring people to communion with God. You know, it's possible to make an idol of the New Testament, generally in a Scrabble game, where your private interpretation becomes the interpretation that you think is saving. Uh, it is the same mentality lets people in our culture decide for themselves what the truth is. Friends, there's one truth. It's reality. And there's a real insanity in not wanting to know the truth. The obedience of faith is the demand that each of us try to know and understand the truth. And it starts with a basic question. Do you think Scripture is a jigsaw puzzle or a game of Scrabble? Because that's going to tell you whether you're going to be a Catholic or any number of these other uh, calls and understandings that God is to some extent working through, but it's not the big picture. Um, the jigsaw puzzle is uh, understanding a whole picture that leads you into communion with the Holy Father and the Catholic Church. Christ's presence uh, is with us because Jesus said, go out and preach the word, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and know I will be with you to the end of time. There's great comforting words. So this has been another edition of Oral Valley Catholic. Something to think about as you look at Scripture and you're trying to put together your own holistic understanding uh, that is in communion with the understanding that the church has faithfully preached for 2,000 plus years. God bless you and see you next week.